I would have these episodes of just really feeling powerless and just really feeling like I needed someone to take care of me. Like retrospectively, that's what I see that it was in those moments. I didn't know. I just felt desperate. I felt scared. And I felt like I had to go to the hospital for someone to help me or I wasn't going to make it. That was my real belief. And it was very intense and very real. Welcome to Hope to Recharge podcast. Thank you for joining me here again today. Every week we meet here to break the stigma around mental health and to bring you insight and inspiration and lots of practical tips from personal stories or professionals around the world that share how they turn their journey of mental health into healing or to thriving. Together we will break the stigma one story at a time. In mental health together is always better. Thank you for joining me here today. I'm your host, Matana. Let's get started. This episode is sponsored by DBT Path. My emotions were all over the map. And even though I knew in my heart that I was capable, bright, and had potential, I'd repeatedly do things that others would say was self-sabotaging. I didn't want to sabotage myself. I just truly didn't know how to manage my emotions. And believe me, I'd tried a lot of things. It wasn't until I learned dialectical behavior therapy, DBT skills, that I learned how to embrace my sensitivity and finally feel in control. Whether for you it's BPD by bipolar, anxiety, PTSD, or any other reason that you regularly experience intense emotions, you can create the life that you want all online in a caring, non-judgmental community. Go to EmotionallySensitive.com now and join us. Learn DBT skills, change your life. Today I have with me someone that transformed her life from the depths of hell to recovery from being homeless numerous amount of times in the psych ward, suicide attempts. She inspired so many people around the globe. Debbie DeMarco Bennett. She's the founder of DBT Path. She helps people recover and walk through borderline personality disorder. She has online DBT classes. She's going to share with us her story. Enjoy this conversation. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Hope to Recharge podcast, where we are continuing to break the stigma on borderline personality disorder. Today, I have again our fabulous guest and our sponsor, which we are so grateful to, Debbie DeMarco Bennett, the founder of DBT Path Emotionally Sensitive.com. You probably heard this on our recordings before. You probably know the slogan by now. We are so honored to have her here again. If you did not hear the first episode. If you're new to Hope to Recharge and you did not hear her previous episode that we interview her story of recovery, go to episode 152 and we deep dive into her recovery story. And we're going to go over a little bit about what recovery means from borderline personality disorder, because it's a little bit different than traditional recoveries from other addictions or mental health issues. We're really here today to understand what she built after struggling, recovering, and rebuilding herself, what this emotionally sensitive.com platform is, what DBT path is, why she started it, how it evolved, who comes there. We want to understand because we got so many people asking us about DBT path. I think it's the new slang. Oh, I have to go to DBT. Where can I find DBT? Is there a DBT group? What is DBT? Is it some things that we learn about our traits? Is it a tool? Is it a group? Is it therapy? So many questions. And I get a lot of questions for teenagers about 
DBT because when teenagers are first diagnosed, there's no diagnosis really until they're 18. A lot of times therapists like to introduce the idea of DBT. I am so grateful that Debbie's giving us another hour of her time that we can understand the incredible gift that she gave the world with creating DBT Path. Welcome, Debbie. Thank you. It's so good to be here. Hello, everyone. So Debbie, our listeners know about DBT Path and about EmotionallySensitive.com. And if not, the link is in the show notes. But we're going to give a little bit of a background for those that did not listen to the first episode when we interviewed you. So we're going to touch a a short little clip about what your life was before recovery. Okay. And what does recovery mean to you? Because I know that recovery is different. And what does it mean in the whole world of borderline personality disorder? Sure. DBT stands for dialectical behavior therapy. And it's a set of skills that helps people who have difficulty regulating their emotions to be able to learn how to do that in ways that allow them to create what is known as a life worth living. That's what Dr. Marshall Linehan describes as one of the ultimate goals of DBT is to get to that point. And involved in that is learning how to regulate emotions, learning how to tolerate distress. So if something's happening in a moment, we were just talking about this right before the podcast. If your computer is not launching Zoom fast enough and you can't do anything about it, if you notice yourself starting to get stressed, there are skills to use in that moment to keep yourself from escalating and to keep yourself feeling regulated. And also there's a huge component of mindfulness. And there's also a section on interpersonal effectiveness, which is basically relationships. All of these things tend to be things that people with borderline personality disorder or BPD traits, or even who have complex trauma and have difficulty regulating their emotions can often relate to like these parts of their lives being out of order and in chaos. And that certainly was the case for me. So in 2010, when I learned that I had borderline personality disorder, it came about basically um, in my late teens into my early 20s, I was in and out of psychiatric hospitalizations. I was frequently threatening suicide. I was unable to keep a job. My relationships were very hot and cold. So it was really easy for me to bond and make strong connections with people really fast, but then things would explode and be irreparable, basically. So there was a lot of pain, a lot of emotional hurt, but no idea how to manage it. I'd never learned how to cope with my emotions in the way that I did with DBT eventually. Now I had been in the foster care system and I had been in group homes and they definitely did work with us. And I'm so grateful because who knows how I would have turned out if I didn't have that intervention, but this was before DBT was created and also I was a teenager, so there wasn't a diagnosis of BPD available, especially in the 90s, for uh, someone who had some of the symptoms I might have been showing even back then. Back in 2010, I had gone to an intensive outpatient hospitalization after going to the emergency room, having another one of my, what I call with compassion now, one of my breakdowns. So I would have these episodes of just really feeling powerless and just really feeling like I needed someone to take care of me. Like retrospectively, that's what I see that it was. In those moments, I didn't know. I just felt desperate. I felt scared. And I felt like I had to go to the hospital for someone to help me or I wasn't going to make it. That, right. that was my real belief. And it was very intense and very real. 
So from the emergency room, they had a psychiatrist come and they said, yes, you need to go into intensive outpatient hospitalization. While there, I was very fortunate that I had been working with my psychiatrist for a while and my therapist at Kaiser, which is like this, for those who don't know, like this health organization where kind of everything is all there. So they have their own doctors, their own psychiatrists, and they have their own campuses. So everything's like all in one. So when I went to IOP, I regularly saw my psychiatrist more frequently than I could ever see her before with the way things are with the mental health system. But when you're in IOP, you see your psychiatrist frequently, you see your therapist, you go to groups. It was there that I finally received the diagnosis. My psychiatrist and I went through the criteria and it was pretty clear. Something striking about it that I'll always remember is she didn't want to put it down on my chart officially. And instead, and to this day, when I look at my Kaiser medical history, it says a history of severe psychological trauma. She said, I want to put that in because when you go to the hospital or if you have to call 911 or whatever, and people have to come, if they see borderline personality disorder, it's not going to be good there's a lot of professionals that still don't understand. And I want you to get the best treatment and I want you to get compassionate care. So I was like, okay. She said, however, BPD is something that you can get help for through DBT. And I had never heard of it before. So I'm like, what is it? She starts to tell me. And fortunately they had DBT at the mental health center and I enrolled and that's where my journey began. But prior to that, and even of course, even the first six months to a year of being in DBT, things were still pretty crazy, right. but they were getting better as I was learning the dialectical behavior therapy skills, understanding that I wasn't crazy, that I was just mm. someone who felt deeply, intensely, and never really learned how to manage when that would come up. So it would, including when I would feel it in my body. Mm-hmm. So some people can relate to like, if you start to feel like a weird feeling in your stomach or in your heart or in your chest, and you start to freak out and panic, mm-hmm. I didn't have tools to manage that. So it right. would just get out of control. And I'd end up in the hospital. Basically, yeah. I don't mean to make it sound like the miracle for everyone, because what works for each person is going to be different. But many people who have the opportunity to learn these skills who have a history of BPD or BPD traits or just a variety of things now even anxiety, PTSD, bipolar, find that it really does help that that it meets them where they're at, lets them know they're not crazy, validates what they've been experiencing for so long, and then finally gives them tools to be able to cope in the moment and deal with the intense emotions and the urges that come from those emotions and including urges with other people that can tend to damage or destroy relationships. Many of us would never taught how to do that. And then we're given this gift of, okay, I'll teach you. And we'll practice. How long were you in DBT once that was your last hospitalization, right? Mm -hmm. How long were you in DBT, like the whole package of DBT, the group, the coaching, the therapy, and before you could say, you know what, I'm healthy enough to have a a long-term relationship and I'm okay if it's going to be unstable. I'll be able to deal with this. Okay. It's going to sound like a long time, but honestly, seven years. Oh my God, that's long. But let me backtrack a little bit. Two years of DBT and a total of seven years, including those two years of doing lots of inner work and healing before I felt 
that I even wanted to step into having a relationship. That is probably too long for a lot of people. And I certainly never planned on it being that long and never anticipated it. But just to be clear, the piece about when was I actually technically in recovery after I started DBT? Mm -hmm. Two years. Okay. Okay. So you just said to yourself, I'm in the path of growth. Why bring more challenges? Let me first really work on myself. People that are, are not with any mental illness can work on themselves for years before they start any relationship. So I guess you answered my, my question right. So for two years, you were in recovery and then you were in like self rebuilding yourself. Nothing yes. to really do with borderline. It was really rebuilding and finding your true self because for 18 years, you didn't even know who you were. You kept them right. running away. You kept them running away from homes, from yourself, from pain, from trauma. Jobs. And guys, listen to the episode 152 because you won't even believe what Debbie went through and that she's here with such a calm voice talking to us and leading this group because you hear her story and you have goosebumps. And to think the truth is seven years of rebuilding yourself is not so much for the amount of trauma you went through. Sometimes lifetimes don't rebuild that trauma. That's that's right. I had so much trauma in my nervous system that it wasn't just DBT for me. So, right. okay. So during the two years that I was in DBT, I actually continued to go to DBT during those seven years, yeah. by the way, they yeah. let me at Kaiser just continue yeah. to go because it yeah. was just such a big part of my life. I mean, so supportive to me. But two years after I started DBT is when I sat down with that same psychiatrist and we looked and realized I no longer met the diagnostic criteria and was technically in recovery. During those two years, I was still in a relationship with a guy that I really loved and cared for. And at that point, we'd, we'd been together about 10 years. I don't want to say it was unhealthy because he's a really good guy and he was really trying to do his best, but my side of it was really unhealthy. And I really loved him more as a friend than as a partner. Mm -hmm. And during those two years of DBT, I was able to have that conversation and get honest with him and myself. And then that's why I took another five years mm. to do my work and to soul search and figure out who I really am and what I want and uh, who I want to be and show up as in a relationship. And he continued to be my friend and we continued to live together as roommates. And we're, we just celebrated our 20 year anniversary of being friends like last week. Unbelievable. He's known me since I was a kid, since I was in my uh, early 20s. And he has seen. I was just going to ask you, like, yeah. if you ask him now, are you two different humans? Would he say yeah. yes? He's so proud of me. I, I have to tell you, he brings it up. Like every time he sees me, when he asks me how the business is going, how it's mm -hmm. going with DBT Path, um, he was able to be there for me when I got married and be at our wedding party. It is awesome to have someone in my life who was consistently there, even through all the craziness and didn't leave. I think that's honestly, I think that's also a big contributing factor to my ability to recover in those two years of DBT was because I had a stable home life. There was no abuse. There's no substance abuse. I, I knew what to expect. It wasn't a really a romantic relationship. And I knew that and I was coming to terms with it and learning how to communicate that and take the risk of, are you still going to want to hang out? Are you still going to love me? Are you still going to be my friend? All of that stuff. And all of that happened. And then I took the five years. And I continue to go to DBT every week, continue to see my therapist. I started going to yoga very regularly. I started going to something called TRE, trauma recovery exercises that are being used in the military now with mm. uh, veterans who have PTSD, but anyone really who has trauma. I was doing that. I was um, doing somatic therapy. And 
I didn't have time to like, I don't know, like I see people trying to date and trying to find love and connection when they're trying to pull themselves together. And I totally get that. And I feel so much empathy, but I know in my heart of hearts that I could not do that at that time. It was just no way I I had to get my bleep together. No, I understand. And and you're trying to invest into humans and yourself and rebuilding yourself and nurturing the relationship that you're trying to build. Exactly. And and which one gets more attention? Yeah. And I wouldn't have known how to be in a relationship. I still had so much work to do. And when I did meet my husband, my now husband Mm -hmm. um, in 2017, I was ready and I knew it and I felt it when things would come up. It's not that I never had moments or that I don't ever have moments now or that he doesn't. We're human beings and we're both pretty sensitive, but it's very different. Like I know how to cope. I know how to take care of myself. I know how to communicate. So those things wouldn't necessarily have been possible. And if we had met like, say, five years ago, right when I got out of DBT, I don't know if it would have worked out. So I just still had so much work and growth to do. Yeah. And I knew it. I yeah. had to do it. And you were smart because you invested in yourself in order to attract the right person to stay long lasting with the person that you became and not the person that you're evolving still. So you're when you're evolving, you're attracting a different person for what you will be eventually. That's right. It's funny you say that because uh, you might think this is silly, Montana, but I would actually put down another plate and fork and and knife and spoon at the table when I would make myself dinner sometimes and think about someday that person's going to be sitting there. When I make this strawberry shortcake, I won't be eating it alone. Like I would actually do things like that. Some people think that's crazy. No, I love that. First of all, you're holding on to hope yeah, and you're trusting hope. Yes. And you're saying I'm not yet, but eventually. Yeah. That's beautiful. And you're not pushing out that feeling of what it's like to sit near somebody because you put the plate there. So you feel that little romance coming in and that relationship and you're tapping into that togetherness, but not yet. Yeah. Oh, that's so beautiful. I love that. I hope people take that tip for life that we can say not yet, soon, but not yet. Yes. But not yet. And for our better good. It's hard. It's really hard. Wow. I love that. So after two years, when you said you went into recovery, I'm curious for other people, is it something that you do with a psychiatrist, with your DBT therapist that you evaluate? Are you in remission or not? Or you can decide on your own? You could look over the criteria and kind of judge for yourself or gauge for yourself. But honestly, the only way to really know is to consult with a qualified mental health professional. So a licensed therapist or a psychiatrist who's well-versed in this, who has been monitoring you basically. So Mm -hmm. has been seeing you on a regular basis over a course of time Mm -hmm. and can actually validate, oh, okay, yeah, this is true. This isn't showing up for you anymore. This isn't happening. This still is. And then you count up the traits. And last that I knew is you had to have five or more traits for a certain amount of time or something like that. Right. I'm so out of touch with it now because I'm not. But at one time I was obsessed and knew all of these things verbatim. Mm-hmm. But yeah, then they will go over that with you. There's also other pieces to it. I don't have the information right in front of me, but maybe we can get it for your listeners later and, and yeah. include it. There's actual criteria as well, like something like two years of being able to maintain a job right. or work or have a business and also have at least, I think it's at least two adult stable relationships and 
so there's that. And then there's how many traits are present. And then they can say, oh, you're in remission, you're in recovery. Wow. And it's so, I think, promising for the borderline personality disorder community, because there's, as you said before, th- the therapist said, we're not going to put it down. There's such shame, there's such stigma, there's such fear. But I think Dr. Marshall Linehan is it brought a gift to the world of hope, which we didn't have before, right? We didn't have it for the community. And it was really like, let's hide in the shame and let's not talk about it. And let's hide Mm -hmm. from it. And let's just survive as much as possible. If we can remove those layers of years of shame and the stigma that was built, we can really see it as a blessing that Mm -hmm. Marsha created this incredible DBT tool. Now people are bringing it into schools, yes, into so many platforms that don't have to do with mental health at all. It's just how to cope with emotions. So let's go into DBT path. So you didn't have something like that. You had the inpatient that you were there. And then you went after the inpatient, you went to DBT group, which is very expensive also, right? Very expensive. You have to have health insurance. And unfortunately, yes, it can be really expensive. So what made you start DBT path? And you said there's something missing that I wish I had. Yes. So I had been going to DBT groups and taking notes like crazy and just hanging on to every word of Marsha's on the videos that we would watch and doing my homework pretty much every week and going through that process of sharing homework and getting feedback and and doing that. That's part of DBT as well as like the healing comes in community, the sharing and realizing you're not alone and supporting each other. I just thought, wouldn't it be cool if we could do this online? By the way, it's before Corona. People are listening and they're like, wait, everything's done online. Wait, let's flash a year and a half ago. Yeah, I know. Really? We have to give it that context because it was in 2013 that I actually started DBT Pass. So I was actually in three years at that. And I had been working a job while also trying to do this very part time. I just wanted to see if it was possible. And back in 2013, not a lot of people even knew. the people are starting to know now, but they really didn't know what DBT was. Or Even that they three years it. ago, wasn't as popular. Now it's very popular. Three, four years ago, it wasn't something that was on our tip of our tongue, right? Right, right. Selena Gomez and Lady Gaga right. have specifically talked about using DBT skills. So no doubt that blew up people right. searching for this and right. figuring out what it is and saying, oh my God, I need that and that sort of thing. So you started it online. And I would think with borderline personality disorder, new people is hard. So you would think that online would probably be a gift for the community because, oh, I could just click and I can even turn off my camera. I could listen. I don't really have to work to show up. If I'm tired, if I don't like the way I look today, it probably was the biggest gift that you can give the DBT community, right? I think so. And I realized I, I skipped over a couple of important things about it wasn't just like one day in DBT group, I'm like, I should start something online. Mm. During the time that I was in DBT Mm -hmm. for the first two years, I started a blog and I'd never blogged before like that. I'd had like little things about personal things, but nothing about at the depth of this blog that I started. My intention with it was that I was going to chronicle my journey from learning that I had BPD through getting better and healing. Mm -hmm. That was the destiny that I imagined. And Mm -hmm. I wanted to document it. I would blog usually several times a week. Wow. About my DBT group, how it went, my individual session, the homework, the skill that I learned. And I would share very personal experiences about how I applied it in my life that week. Like what came up? Raw, vulnerable stuff. Like I still can't believe it sometimes. Mm-hmm. I've thought about taking it down, but I know it reaches so many people to this day and that it helps them. And I can't do that. But I was really an open book. 
that resulted in people starting to reach out to me, wanting me to teach them because they didn't have DBT where they were and they wanted to learn more. Can you tell us more about this? Can you write more about this skill or how do I do this? And it also led eventually to a new harbinger publishers reaching out to me and me publishing two books with them on the wow. subject of dialectical behavior therapy and borderline personality disorder. So all of this happening, my, my classes were already started before the books went into motion. But with all of this happening, I was like, okay, I have to figure out a way to do this in a way that will work. Like, how can we do this? And so I found like an online conferencing thing. And I started talking about it on Twitter. I'm like, who wants to learn these skills that I'm learning at Kaiser? And you know, wow. who wants to come learn this with me? It's really helping me. If you're a reader of my blog, like come mm -hmm. check it out. Mm -hmm. And that's how it really started. And it was honestly kind of a mess in the beginning because I didn't know how to use the technology at the time very well. I didn't know how to put a, together a PowerPoint presentation very well or organize myself. I didn't have the best boundaries around taking on. You were helping everyone. On. Yeah. And wanting to be wanting everyone to like me and be friends with me. And it was right. not supposed to be. So I had a lot of work to do and to clear mm -hmm. up and to learn and to become a professional mm -hmm. in order to work in this space. It was one thing to be a consumer and a recipient and a patient learning these things and yes. feeling better and benefiting and sharing it through writing. It was another thing and another big step in my journey yeah. to learn how to channel that into helping other people. So you mentioned the skills educator. What is that? Is that a DBT term? I think it has become one yeah. because like you were saying earlier, DBT is not just in clinical settings anymore. It's starting to show up in schools. It's starting to show up in different types of groups, work yeah. environments. I know some are implementing it. So many of us who teach the skills formally and professionally will refer to ourselves as DBT skills educators. It's becoming a pretty common term. And some therapists even will say I'm a therapist and a DBT skills educator. Because it's very different than DBT therapy. Yes. And yeah. you don't do DBT therapy in DBT path. It's funny. Sometimes people need clarification on that because therapy is in the word DBT, dialectical behavior therapy. But we are very clear on our website. And when anyone inquires mm -hmm. that if they're looking for therapy, we actually refer them to behavioraltech.org or to hopeforbpd.com because those are resources that can help people who have borderline personality disorder to connect with someone who's qualified in DBT to support them and you know get them what they need. But if they are a good fit for a psychoeducational class, we have self-referred people. In recent years, we have had many psychiatrists from around the world referring their patients to us and therapists as well. My office manager told me the other day we have students in 44 countries, which blew me away because I knew we had a lot of people wow. from different countries, but I did not realize she's been keeping track of it for like wow. seven years or however long she's been doing it. And yeah, it's crazy. Shout out to Kim. Shout out to Kim, virtual office manager, amazing yeah. woman. My support. Yeah. So it is very different. There is so can something... you go into explaining to us what kind of a person would mm -hmm. come to you versus therapy or is it side by side? Sometimes they go side by side with DBT therapy and you and how do they feed into each other and, and help each other? I would say I don't have a statistic for you, but a large majority of our students are taking this course 
a DBT path, learning the skills and concurrently working with an individual therapist or a psychiatrist to go deeper because bleep is going to come up. People need a space to be able to talk about that, whether it's with a trusted loved one, a Mm -hmm. spiritual mentor or Mm -hmm. advisor or a professional mental health person. It's important. There are also many students who are taking the class who choose not to go to therapy or who are unable to get therapy for whatever reason. So we do see both. As far as what makes a good student, I would say you have to be in a place in your life where you're really willing to commit and you're not doing this because someone is telling you that you need to or quote unquote, making you do it. it Sending you you to. Although I shouldn't really say that like definitively, because there are some students who have shown up to the class in that situation who have just become, they're like, oh my God, this changed my life. And and, and they have these big transformations stories. But just generally speaking, you, you have to be in somewhat of a stable place. You call them students. Yes. Students come to learn. And if you're not students open to learn, to learn, you can be there and you're not learning, right? Because yes, you, you must be ready or at least think that you are maybe ready. Right. Or but maybe you, you want you, to be inspired to get yes. there. Yeah. If you're ready to at least be inspired or to at least check this out because I've tried everything else. Right. I need something to work. Let me at least check it out before I dismiss it. Mm -hmm. We do have some students who are attending as a condition of their probation. That's been a lot more in the last couple of years where we document their Mm -hmm. attendance and their participation. Mm -hmm. And then they present that to the judge when they go for their hearings. Yes. And and this being a psychoeducational class. Isn't that the most empowering thought that your course is going back to a judge? Yes. To say, check, you can go to the next step. That's humbling. And like, wow, I get to tell you the magnitude of the responsibility of that too. And when you have to say no, that you can't write the note because they haven't been participating. That and the happens. heartbreaking reality check with them, right? Yes. Yes, there's custody cases Mm. where they're asking for proof of attendance and and learning the emotional Mm. coping skills where we're really clear. We're a psychoeducational class. They're not receiving individual psychotherapy Mm -hmm. with us. Here's the content and here's what their participation has been like and here's what their attendance has been like. And these things are being taken into consideration Mm -hmm. in very big decisions in people's lives as well. That's another category of people who might be taking the class. So I kind of I'm backtracking a little on what I said about, but because if you're being told that you have to go as a legal requirement, then you have to come. And we do see people have transformation stories that are in that situation as well. I think what you were saying before, if you're like in an abusive relationship and they're saying, I'm not going to continue living with you unless you go there or whatever, it shouldn't be forced upon you because you're guilted into it. If it's a requirement to move forward in your life, that's one thing, but you're saying it shouldn't be forced from an unhealthy relationship. I think that's what you're trying to say. Yeah, exactly. So you are doing it of your own um, free will and desire and showing up. And also it's really important to not be in a crisis in the sense of being actively suicidal or having a lot of suicidal ideation and not working with an individual therapist or psychiatrist at the same time. We are very clear on the scope of what we can provide. And we take that really seriously. And we want people to get the support and the help that they really need to stay safe. So if someone is in that situation, it's really important that they first connect with an individual therapist or a psychiatrist and then sign up for our class after talking to them about it and seeing if it seems like it would be appropriate in their treatment plan where they have that support for that crisis intervention and that type of help. So you have the forum, which is the community. And that's where they hang out. There's questions, there's connecting. How do they stay safe in that forum that there's no boundaries crossed? 
Do you sometimes feel stuck? Do you wish you can be somewhere else? Do you have a vision of where you want to get to, but you just don't know what the first step to take in order to get to that life that you're dreaming of? Many people ask me, what did I do in order to create this wellness that I'm living in? How did I shift from deep depression, from extreme anxiety to a thriving life, to a productive life, to a life full of joy? I put many things into practice and it's every single day. Many of you know that it's gratitude, a healthy mindset, boundaries, self-love, and one of the most important things that many people don't speak about, forgiveness, self-forgiveness and forgiveness to others. Essential for healing. If you want to work one-on-one with me in order to move forward towards that dream life that you have a vision of, click the link below in the show notes. It's a custom-made program for you, one-on-one with me. We will develop a concrete program that you can implement in your life so you can create a better well-being. Click the link below. Looking forward to working with you. And now enjoy the rest of the episode. How do they stay safe in that form that there's no boundaries crossed? That does happen. And we do have several eyes in there. It takes a team. I could not do this by myself. We have several staff members who are moderators in the group. It's not moderated 24 seven. So occasionally something can come up Mm -hmm. that we have to deal with. But if any student seems to be struggling with honoring the the guidelines of the group, because there's an orientation process before you start, Mm -hmm. and that includes familiarizing yourself with what the norms are in the group and what subjects are taboo and how Mm -hmm. to use a trigger warning and what to do if you are feeling unsafe and all this different stuff. We've been very blessed and also happy to say that people are able to conduct themselves in a healthy way. Not to say that it never is an issue. Usually like once each module, it'll be a new student and we'll be like, oh gosh, here we go. That somebody will say something that might be really inappropriate Mm. or really aggressive toward another student. So we, we try to intervene as quickly as possible with compassion and empathy for both sides and use it as a teaching opportunity for skills. Because we have to remember, most people that are coming to this don't have those tools. Yet. And that's why they're showing up that way. Right. And we will usually put them on moderation as well, so that all of their posts have to be reviewed for a certain amount of time until right. we feel comfortable, they feel comfortable. So it's not to say that it never happens. That's Right. But know. that happens in any community. But you, there is monitoring. That's what I was wondering. If there is monitoring, can a student contact the student in private? No. For privacy purposes, we do not have have the direct messaging enabled okay. in our forum. Okay. So what, what will happen in these rare instances is one student will reach out to us and ask for help and we'll mediate that. It's not a common thing. Like you would think it would be happening more frequently with it being online and with it being people who are struggling with emotions and mental health. You I would think, think mental health be- in general, we want empathy. We want sympathy. We want to connect to somebody that understands. And I know with myself, if I'm going through something and there's suddenly somebody that really gets me, I want to talk to them more in depth. I want to get more of their heart, their mind their experience, not out of uh, creepiness, but I would want to have a one-on-one conversation. And I would assume that most people that are in your group are growing people that want to heal, people that want to move forward. I'm sure that there is such a thing that I want to reach out. I like that person. I love the way they talk. I love the thought, but you keep it very strict and very healthy and boundaries. That does happen. And oftentimes in the first week of class, so we do a pre-class chat. There's a chat room before we go live with the lesson Mm -hmm. and people can, you know, get to know each other and team members are in there as well. And usually in the first few weeks of a new module, especially people will be like, Oh, 
hey, here's my email address, Sarah. I related so much Mm. to you. Let's talk about this. And we do reach out to people and we say it was unhealthy. This is the reason why we do it. When I was in DBT, I learned that when I was in the DBT group, that personal relationships among participants was discouraged outside of the DBT group. And there are a lot of reasons for that. And they are the reasons why we also discourage it. One of the reasons- It goes back to the reason why you didn't date anybody because you're still finding yourself. You're still insecure about where you are and what you're growing, right? Yeah. Listen, people are at different parts of their journey. And you might connect with someone that you feel Mm -hmm. a connection with right now. And the next day that person could be suicidal and looking to you for help. And now that pressure is on you, right? And you're trying to deal with your own mental health and maybe having suicidal thoughts yourself. So it can get dangerous. It can also be really uncomfortable in terms of some people don't have boundaries. So you connect and you think you're going to have this friendship and then it becomes overwhelming. Mm -hmm. We have seen this happen. We have advised students just exactly what you're saying. People will be like, Oh, could you ask so-and-so if I could have her email address? Because I related so much to what she shared on the homework there. And I just want to ask her something. I'm like, you know what? We don't facilitate that. And we actually highly discourage it. We can't completely stop you or prohibit you from doing it, but we do make it clear that this is not something that we can support mm-hmm. because of the potential dangers involved. And because you're here to learn the skills for yourself and build your life and you don't need the distraction. Maybe when you complete the whole program and you're feeling stable and in a better place, I know that's what I was given as reason when I was in the group. Cause I felt the same way. I was like, Oh, I want to be friends with her. Right. And, you know, right. Right. Um, right. Maybe I'm going to be totally honest. We'd sometimes sneak and meet up. We would all be in the lobby at the same Mm. time before the group. It's human connection. It's human nature. But we would sometimes say, okay, let's meet at Starbucks next time before class. So we would all have coffee together. And you could do that in person. You could. But when it's online, it's a little bit more like, I feel like hidden. We're not exposing ourselves online 100%. Person is a little bit more, okay, I see this person. Like I'm in the same room with them. Online, Mm -hmm. we still don't know. That's right. And I just wanted to share that to validate that I personally experienced that and that like, oh my gosh, somebody gets it. Somebody understands, like, I want to talk to them more. Totally. But beyond that, that's why we have in a way pre-class chat. That's kind of like the lobby or the The hangout visit of, and we have those spaces in study hall in our forum. Mm -hmm. Every weekend we have a weekend self-care thread and a lot of conversations that help students to get to know each other better happen there. So there are spaces for that, but it really is structured. There really are boundaries and expectations put in place. It's for a reason. And that's what helps keep our community so safe. I think it's also important to remember that there's leaders in this community. And if you have any question, ask you, ask the therapist, right? You're in a classroom setting. So Mm -hmm. ask the professors in the class, right? You're going to answer any question they have. They don't have to feel that they have to go to the students to ask that. Right. I think what helps too is that I'm not a clinician. Mm -hmm. So I'm a peer educator and a DBT skills coach, but I have lived experience. So when I respond to homework, I can with truth empathize and say, no, I have felt that, or I have thought that, or I have been called that. So they do have someone in the space too, that has been there, done that and can come from that perspective. And that's me. And it's very important. And we hear that a lot that people feel that they go to therapy to get the tips and tricks from a psychological point of view, but the empathy and the sympathy of somebody experiencing the same challenges is a a different level of connection. It just is. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why people so relate to TBT path is because you're there. I think so. I think that's a big part of it. 
and you hold so much space for them and their pain and their struggles. You're non-judgmental. I'll meet anybody where they are right now. And it's okay. Because I was a horror story before GBT. Oh my gosh. I know what it's like. And I know that we don't behave in the ways that we behave and believe the things and say the things and do the things we do because we're monsters or horrible people. There's roots to it. On occasion, I'll get an email from a student who's upset with me about something that's has vulgar language and just really upset with me. I don't take it personally. It was hard in the right. beginning. Yeah. The first couple of years. I was like, oh my God. But I see it for what it is. And I maintain my professionalism and I do my best to support them and let them know you're not pushing me away. Sorry. All right. Mm-hmm. Talk to you in a couple of days. See you in class. I, I validate because I know it's not about me. Right. You don't personalize do it. it. Yeah. It. Beautiful. And that's why it's important that you went through it because you know where they're coming from the mindset, the pain, where they're stuck right now and what made them write those words and be ungrateful and attack. You understand it. I actually receive emails once in a while from people who did that years ago. Apologizing. Apologizing. They're like in a much better place in their lives. And I'm just like, my heart. And to know that you were a part of that process of them coming from there to here and that their bravery to recognize it and to apologize. That's bravery. It is real bravery. That's incredible. It is. And it makes a difference to people to not be given up on. A hundred percent. When you start a course, you open it a few times a year, right? Mm -hmm. Tell us a little bit about the cycle of your courses, how long they last. Do people usually come again? Well, at the airing of this episode, I believe our course is starting in just a couple of weeks, our mm-hmm. next round of distress tolerance. Our course is nine months long. We open up to new students every three months. So we start a new module every three months. You are either coming in at distress tolerance, emotion regulation, or interpersonal effectiveness. Instead of doing the mindfulness piece, which is a huge component of dialectical behavior therapy skills, instead of having that as a separate module, to to where you would have to wait until that comes around again. We actually do mindfulness with every single module. When we start to stress tolerance in a couple of weeks, you're also going to be getting mindfulness lessons and skills so that you have that under your belt as well. So that's the format that we currently use. So every three months, there's a new module that comes out, but you're saying it doesn't matter where you come in because eventually you're going to do all three. So it doesn't matter where you start. And we're giving mindfulness at each chapter because it's important for all the chapters. Yes. Eventually, you're going to get all three modules after nine months. Yes. And with each module being 12 weeks long, usually the first three or four weeks are really focused on the mindfulness skills. So we'll bring in elements of the module that they're in as well. So we will have distress tolerance skills. We will be talking about them, what they are, having homework around them. But there will be also a real emphasis on mindfulness skills so that people have those as well. People ask you this next question a lot. How much time a week do I have to devote to this? I need to know that if I'm committed to it, the financially, mentally, the responsibility of it, the commitment for nine months. Mm-hmm. And hopefully after the three, they'll go to the next three and the next three because they want to really improve, right? What do you suggest? Like say, this is the amount of time you need for DBT path. Well, the class lesson itself is 60 minutes, sometimes 75 minutes. And then we have pre-class chat and then homework and then other optional threads in the forum. So I would say at a minimum, you're looking at committing a couple of hours a week. Mm -hmm. to formally sitting down, either attending the live class or reviewing the recording, and then reflecting on the skill 
you'll be ref- hopefully reflecting on the skill on a daily basis throughout your day. Mm-hmm. Like once you hear the lesson and you start thinking about it as things are coming up during the day, but then sitting down formally and giving yourself time and space to do the homework mm-hmm. and to type it up and, and to share it. Oh, okay. So it's one class a week mm-hmm. for about 60 to 75 minutes. And you basically put into it as much as needed throughout the week. Correct. Because people are like, oh, I'm so busy. Will I have time for it? Will I get the most out of it? So it's important to know time-wise what we have to devote to it. What are the age groups that come to you? Currently, our students range in age from 15 to 80. Oh, 15. So teenage. Mm-hmm. 80? 80. Wait, 80 years old are still working on themselves. Is that the most inspiring thing I heard? Oh I can't God. even when I hear from someone who is in the older demographic reaching out and saying, where has this been all my life? Can I join you? Is it too late for me? And they become some of the most amazing figures in the community. Wow inspiring to other students, especially the younger students. Wow. Yeah. Are they usually family members of someone that's struggling with being highly sensitive or emotional irregulations or borderline? They are the ones. They're the student for themselves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Wow. I'm thinking of several of our students who are senior citizens right now with so much fondness. Like I think about them on a regular basis. Like if I don't hear from them in the community, I'm like, what's going on? We'll send them an e-card or wow. check on them. Yeah. Wow. That is inspiring. So what's the youngest that you're willing to take that you're okay taking? 15. And that's just based on experience of experimenting with trying to work with teenagers that are younger than that, and the 13 to 15. We've just really found that the success rate and them really being able to, to do the work that's involved in the course has been really more successful with adolescents that are 15 and older. Is it important for a 15 year old to come with their parents? Yes. So this is what we advise. Either Catherine will do a Zoom call and talk to the parent ahead of time to make sure it really does feel like a good fit and that the the child is not needing something more intensive Mm -hmm. or that they're going to be doing something more intensive or they'll communicate over email. There's a discussion that takes place when we learn that the applicant is under 18 years old. And part of that discussion is that we strongly recommend that the parent or the caregiver attend the class with the teen for at least the first month or two to kind of just gauge that it's appropriate for them and that they're able to sit with it and that it's working. And then if they feel comfortable, they can allow their child to continue the course without them having to be like super present. But that's something that we really strongly encourage parents and caregivers to do when someone is younger and attending the course for sure. Yeah. I just interviewed a therapist that is a DBT therapist and she does the whole package. And she says 15 year olds, even 14 year olds, I think she said, or maybe even 13. She said that she highly recommends parents coming because it's a family dynamic that's going to start mm-hmm. shifting. And she said, it's so important for parents to understand what the mindset shift is going to be for and to assist the student, the, the child through this process. And that's why she really believes that it's important for teens to come for a little bit with the parents. And if not, so the parents should do alone an understanding of the work that the kid is doing. Absolutely. Would it be okay to plug a business that isn't mine, but that caters to what you're talking about? So hopeforbpd.com is a website by um, psychotherapist Amanda Smith, also in recovery from borderline personality disorder, has a private practice in Waco, Texas. And she's our DBT team consultant at dbtpathandemotionallysensitive.com as well. She used to teach, co-facilitate the Mm. classes with me before Catherine. 
She runs online groups for people who are partners, parents, siblings, children of people loved who have ones. borderline yes, loved ones of people who have borderline mm-hmm. personality disorder and BPD traits. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. she teaches them the language of yeah. BBT so that they can start using it in their own lives and setting an example and modeling it in front of their emotionally sensitive or dysregulated loved one. But then also when their loved one is ready to learn the skills they can speak in the same language because DBT really has a lot of lingo. Wise mind, dear man, give, validation, all of these different things that if they have that language can be so helpful in the moment when they see their loved ones struggling or needing support or validation to be able to suggest a skill or practice a skill together. So I highly recommend if there's a family member listening, there are family members who sign up for our course, but when they disclose to us that they are a family member or a loved one, we first suggest to them that they check out Amanda's class because it is catered to their needs. Some people choose to do that or they choose to come with us. You just have to evaluate which program you think is going to be a better fit for you, but we highly recommend. And that's what we do immediately. We say, you're welcome to join us, but honestly, please check this out first. And before you make a decision, it's just that we genuinely care and want people to get what they really need. So special. After nine months, do you find that people want to come back to perfect themselves? It's a lot of information. And to really put these skills into motion, you need a lot of practice. So do you find that people come for a second year? Yeah. I have someone who's doing their fifth round right now, who's going to be starting her fifth round in October. And you're sure it's not because she just loves hanging out with you? I think that community? could be part of it. She knows who she is and we're, yeah. we're fond of each other. I'm sure she's probably listening to this. We do have students, another student I'm thinking of who lived in Israel for a while and is back in the United States. She's been with me for, I think, seven years on and off. So what happens is people get really plugged into the community and, and that's one thing. But the other thing is this, and this is what I learned about my own journey with DBT and why I kept repeating the modules and the cycles for years and Mm -hmm. kept showing up even when my life was stable. I was going to say maybe it's like AA or NA, but I've never really done those. But where you keep going? Vitamins. Yeah. It's their supplement. It keeps you well, right? Yeah. So yes, people do repeat the course. And what I find exciting about this and what I noticed on my personal journey and what I noticed with students, and I love it, is that the second time or even the third time or however many times you choose to come back, typically if people repeat, it's only two or three times and then they they set sail and fly, mm-hmm. but they'll still be a part of our community because if you graduate from the nine months at least once, you still have a lot of benefits that allow you to stay in the community. Mm. You just You're not coming to the class and doing the right, 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 right. But what happens is you take the first round and then you take it all in, you absorb as much as you can, you practice the skills, you're doing the homework, you're getting feedback, you're doing your work. You come back and you do it again, you're doing it with a new set of eyes and you're actually a different person than you were nine months ago when you started. So the types of insights that you're going to have doing the same assignments or hearing those same lessons can be really powerful because now you're more stable, hopefully. Now you have tools and skills and resources that you can call upon. And now you're taking the class from I'm thinking of like Maslow's hierarchy of needs. You're not coming in a full state of chaos. You've got some regulation now. Your nervous system is starting to calm and heal. And you're in a a different place to be receptive and to hear the information and practice the skills in ways that you couldn't the first time. And it's just amazing to me the, the things that we see people accomplishing and sharing 
that are doing the work after having done it a full round previously. Amazing. And do you feel that when people come a second time and a third time, they're giving back to the community. It's like they're refilling the community. It's like like a recycling effect, like a paying it forward. Like I came as a new student. Now I'm doing second year, now third year. Like they can reassure students. Oh, I was there nine months ago, a year ago, two years ago. What I love is that sometimes students ask for this designation. Other times we reach out to them to ask them if they want it. But with, for students who have been through the whole program, if they're active in the forum and kind of like encouraging and cheerleading and supporting other people, we have them have a designation after the name a senior student or mm. program graduate that lets people know like they have been through the program, they have done the work and they're here to support as well. And Beautiful. I think it feels really good to have that designation. It's like they are peer educators too. It gives such a meaning to the journey and, and such purpose, right? Yes. And exactly what Marsha talks about, a, a life worth living. And to be with a community that can understand it is very empowering and very loving. Yeah. It's amazing that you give this space to the people that often feel very alone and are misunderstood. Yeah. I have moments where I have to just tell my husband, please hold me because I'm going to get emotional in the sense that. I become overwhelmed or overcome with emotions sometimes because I'm so touched by the fact that my intention that people who have been suffering in this way and who have been cast aside and who have been disregarded or feared or that people just didn't know how to support them are clearly feeling seen and heard and loved and supported in the community. I'll see like a share that just says that. And I'll be like, babe, wow. I can't like, so, it like touch me, like wake me up. Is this, can, can, is this yeah. a dream? Can this like, be reality? Did I create this space? What after the hell I went through? Yeah. Yeah. And I think about it sometimes. And we talked about this when I chatted with you before, if I could go back and change the past, would I have chosen an easier life? No, I really feel and believe that everything that happened had to happen in order for me to be in this position to help hundreds of people around the world to feel seen, heard, loved, supported, to feel more in control of their emotions, to have a sense of community. Like this space probably wouldn't have, I wouldn't have been able to create it or wanted to or had any idea about it if I hadn't been through the chaos and the terrible journey. The terrible journey turned into a blessing for others. Right. Wow. It's beautiful. I want to wrap up with some sayings or gratitudes or feedback that you get from community members. What's something that you hear a lot? Some things that you're like, oh, here's another one. The repetitive ones. Yeah. One that I hear is one that I kind of popped in earlier, which is thank you for not giving up on me. Mm. Thank you for not going away when I was showing up the way I was showing up. Other ones are thank you for teaching me these things that I never learned. Thank you for like making this available and and being there and offering this. There are other ones that I'm like going blank. We get a lot of them. A lot of uh, gratitude. A lot. And oftentimes I will ask or Kim will ask, would it be okay to take this little excerpt of what you've shared in this email and put it on our website? So if people go to the reviews page of emotionallysensitive.com, there are lots of videos of people verbally sharing. But then there are tons of written ones. And many of those came from emails where we ask their permission. Can we please? That's a place where I look sometimes like if I'm having a hard day, remember that this is having impact. Remember that this is changing lives. Remember that this is important work. 
It's bigger than whatever's happening for me today. Yeah. I call it my lollipop jar. I don't know if I shared it with you. I have a Ziploc bag with written notes that I got from people. I have a whole file on my computer, on my phone of texts, emails, chat, whatever. And I call it my lollipop jar. And when I feel depleted, I go grab a lollipop. And when I want to quit, I'm like, okay, go grab a lollipop and just remember why you're doing it because it can get very draining. Like, well, come on, we're holding space for a lot of pain. We're cheerleading people that are so tired of fighting. It can get exhausting besides the technical part, besides the business part. It takes a lot. And I say this to my husband all the time. I said, it's amazing how God works. It's amazing. I'm like, okay, that's it. I'm, I'm done. I'm done. And I'll say, I can't, I can't. And we get to that. Everything is just so overwhelming. Life, everything just gets overwhelming. And we're like, okay, what's the first thing that goes? What we don't have to do, right? I have exactly. children. I have to be a mother. I'm a wife. I want to be the wife. I'm a sister. I'm a daughter. I'm a community member. That I have to. The, the things that I chose to do with my life, I don't have to. But my husband always says, no, you have to. Go my husband grab, says that too. Go. He <laughs> said, what do you think? You went through hell and for no reason. You think God just gave you hell for no reason? No, you have to. And he says, go grab a lollipop. He's, go he's look at it. Go look at it. And that day, whenever I say, I always get a reminder by email, by text, always something that's chilling. That's yes. I, I stayed alive because I listened to your episode. It gave me hope. I'm going to, I'm not going to quit. I'm, I'm not going to leave my relationship. I'm going to try a little bit harder. My children. Okay. I'll see them in a different light. Okay. I'll, I'll work a little bit harder. I'm not going to give up. I'll check into the hospital, whatever it is. Right. Mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. we get all of that, right. We get all of those, yeah. those, those things that just say, okay. And God is very kind that he sends it to us those reminders at the right time. I agree. And the synchronicity of it is just, it really is divine. Yeah. And it's beautiful when you can be with your eyes wide open to see it and to accept it and smile and like, okay, thank you, God. Okay. I got it. I got it. Okay. We're not quitting. I'm just going to take a day off. Exactly. A bad day is not a bad life. I'm glad that we experienced the same thing and we can validate each other. We're going to have Debbie and her husband on one day. Because I think one of the biggest things in the borderline community is relationships, fear of abandonment. Mm. How do we deal with relationships? So you have such a loving, beautiful relationship and people should follow you on social media because it's humbling to see. So before you follow Debbie, go listen to the episode and then follow her. And then you're going to be blown away by, wow. And then you have hope and then you have hope and you won't give up on anyone. And you're going to just keep on showing up like Debbie did. And maybe one day you'll be the Debbie for your community. Aw, how special is that, right? So Debbie, give us some closing remarks for this very detailed, important episode, which people were waiting to hear about your community. Is there anything you want to share about the community that you think that is important for them to know or your vision for your future? I'm just really grateful to have had this opportunity to sit here and chat with you and to everyone who's listening. And for the people that are still listening, clearly, I'm imagining something resonated for you or perhaps something you heard is giving you some hope that you didn't have before because there is a place out there. There is a resource. There are people who understand. There is a community. So we hope that if this sounds like something you're interested in, like I mentioned earlier, we're starting a new module. So please come visit us and see if maybe this will be helpful to you. And if this is not where you're at at this time, if you're 
not ready, or if it doesn't seem like a good fit, please start looking at other resources that are available. My blog healingfrombpd.com is one that I'll mention because as I talked about during the podcast, I'm so used to seeing class Mm -hmm. is filled with inspiration and hope in even the darkest moments of BPD. And that is all free information and resources. So please check that out. Check in with your therapist or local mental health center to see if there are resources. There may be some, depending on when you're listening to this podcast, we might still be in a world where we're doing most things by Zoom, which can be good because there can be additional resources that weren't available that you may be able to find. But please remember that you're not alone. You're not the things that you have come to believe about yourself that are negative. Please have self-compassion and remember that you're doing the best that you can with what you have and what you have learned. I love this by the poet Maya Angelou. When you know better, you do better. So just trust that you have been doing your best. And just like I was doing my best before DBT, and I know what that looked like, and it was a hard road. And as you learn, whether it's DBT or some other modality that ends up being the one that clicks for you and that fits, or maybe something on your spiritual path or some other part of your life that really helps to bring things together for you, there is hope and you don't have to do this alone. Beautiful. Thank you, Debbie. And I just want to tell the community that the links for you are going to be in the show notes, emotionallysensitive.com. And if you have any question, you can reach out to Debbie and Kim. They are the most responsive humans I've seen. You don't have to be embarrassed to ask any question. And it could be that you're not sure if you're ready or not. Don't hesitate. Send an email, even if it's 10 questions, until you're sure. Don't hesitate because you're embarrassed to ask questions. That's one thing I'm going to tell you about Debbie. She'll never say this person is asking too many questions. No. And you know what? And just to to add to that, our frequently asked questions page is it keeps growing because we get similar questions from people. So it's very likely that something that you're wondering is on there. So if you're not quite ready to reach out and ask yet, perhaps just look that over. And of course, if you have follow-up questions or if something isn't covered there that you want to ask or you want more information on something that's on that page, definitely reach out. Use the contact form on our website at EmotionallySensitive.com. People are going to probably wonder what's the difference between DBT path and EmotionallySensitive.com because we mentioned both. Yes. EmotionallySensitive.com is our website and our space. And the class that you'll actually be taking is called DBT path. Okay. Because we mentioned both. So I just wanted to clarify. Thank you. They're both, they're slash. I feel like they're slash, right? Yeah. So thank you again, Debbie. Thank you for the work you do for the world. Thank you for being so humble and for sharing your pain in order to bring meaning and to really hold space for so many people around the world. I want to personally thank you. And I want to thank you for my listeners because so many people reached out to me and told me how your previous episode helped them and how they were looking into DBT path oh. and how they're looking for their children or for their spouse or for themselves. It gave them so much hope. I had a mother call me last week and she's like, I think I'm giving up. But then she said, you know what? No, I'm going to go back to DBT path. Wow. Yeah. She was beside herself. Mm. And she's like, no, you know what? I'm going to give it another try. That's so amazing. Thank you for bringing hope, inspiration, motivation, and a community to hold space for pain and healing and for being a role model. Thank you, Debbie. Thank you, Kim. Thank you, staff, right? Shout out to your entire staff. staff. Thank you, Catherine, Amanda, Kim, Ari, Chrisana, Charity, and everybody working behind the scenes. 
And Debbie's husband. And my husband, for sure. That he's her biggest cheerleader, right? Thank you. What's his name? Quentin. Thank you, Quentin, for being a role model and bringing hope because seeing you guys together is so beautiful. It's really so beautiful. So thank you. I can't wait to have you both here again together. Yeah. Thank you. And I thank you for all of the same things you mentioned. I, I feel about you as well. Thank you. And guys, if you think of anyone, you listen to this whole episode, you think of anyone, you might save a life. You might save a family. You might save generations by forwarding this episode. It's one click away. So don't hesitate. Bye till next time. Thank you for listening till the end. We highly appreciate all of our listeners. And Mental Health Together is better. You being here means a tremendous amount to us. If you enjoyed this episode and you would like some extra boost of information and inspiration that is not on the podcast, you can go to our website, hopetorecharge.com. There's some premium content that for the cost of a cup of coffee, you can download some amazing information that will help you, a tool that will guide you through life. So don't skip a beat. Don't hesitate. Go to hopetorecharge.com and see what other offerings we have there for your mental health well-being. Thank you for joining us. And remember, if you enjoyed this and you want to say thank you, the best way of gratitude will be by you leaving a review or a comment or sharing this with a loved one. There is no greater form of gratitude for us. Thank you. Bye till next time.